Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to send.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really amazing entrepreneur, a repeated entrepreneur. We're going to be learning a lot about building, scaling, financing, exiting, you name it. And then also being on both sides of the table, whether it's as an operator or also as an angel investor. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Max Joseph Mayer. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me today. So originally born in a small town in Bavaria, there, you know, in, in Germany. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Well, I, yeah, I do actually come from um, a very small, small town, two hours uh, north of Munich. Uh, I, grew, I grew up there. Um, but um, yeah, after, after finishing high school, um, I was also very eager to leave that town. But um, yeah, nowadays, I, I, I'm really also happy to, to come back from time to time. Now, in, in your case, I mean, what got you into the economics and technology? Because, I mean, obviously that's what you went and study, but uh, what, what got you into that stuff? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. So I, um, I like numbers, so first and foremost, um, and I think that, that brought me to, to studying economics. And um, yeah, I really liked it. And there, of course, I met um, some, some great people. I also took on a second studies. Uh, it's called technology management uh, in Munich. Um, so both there's very Munich, and um, there I also got in touch uh, with the wonderful world of technology. So, so this is um, it's called the Center for Digital Technology Management. It's a very small institution, uh, but it brings out many entrepreneurs actually in uh, Germany. And so there we work together, like business people work together with uh, people with a technology background um, on on business projects and cross-functional groups and yeah um, i loved that concept to really work together with uh, highly ambitious um yeah uh, people with a very very diverse background and um, that's how kind of like also there the idea was born for uh, my first uh, startup now and we'll talk about that in just a little bit now you've you've traveled quite a bit i mean you've been in malaga you know, where you were a camarero, you know, a waiter for there for like uh, six months or so. You also were in New York uh, doing some of your studies. Uh, what would you say, you know, you've, you've gotten, you know, perhaps from having that worldview now of being like in all these different places and living in all these different places before you actually went at it and, and perhaps started your own business? What do you think that opened up for you? So, you know, I think 
probably we're we're both like both born in Europe, and um, I I of course have like um uh, I, I love to to live here. So so my um, um in Europe, so I think it has it has many many advantages uh, to live in Europe. Um, we so so our main office is in Munich, um, and and yeah, you can go like you have a very very diverse group of people here, of course from all different European nations. Uh, but also, I always had a huge um, passion for for America. So I think there there are so many things are invented in in the U.S. Uh, nowadays. Uh, there's a huge, like a hugely entrepreneurial spirit, just uh, yeah, in the entire country. And um, there's more like a yeah, hell yes kind of attitude um and that's all like all things which like i am um, yeah i fully admire so i was always a little bit in between um kind of europe and us now during your studies i mean you were alluding to it uh, earlier you met your co-founders so you know instead of you know europe especially you know it's more like you become a consultant for a mckinsey or you're a lawyer or you are a banker, you know, it's like those careers. I mean, for you, it sounds like you went, you know, right into it. So what do you think, you know, triggered that? And, and what was that process of meeting your co-founders and, and thinking about, you know, like bringing something to life? So first of all, like, I think, like I, I, I did an internship at uh, Deutsche Bank Investment Banking. And I think literally at the third night, uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, when I was uh, yeah, yeah, doing some weird slides, I decided, okay, I will never do that. <laughs> <job>. <laughs> Sorry for all bankers. And so I was quite certain. So I also started my kind of like had started one business already during school and one business during university. Um, and, and so I kind of like it, I was, it was clear to me that I wanted to start um, a business um, and ideally um, in the field um, of technology. And then, yeah, like during my second size technology management, I met uh, the, the three co-founders for my first business. Um, and um, yeah, then it was very clear. So it was, so we, we were studying, so it was the beginning of 2008, we were studying, all of us were studying in the US, uh, they're like being uh, visiting students. Um, and then we came back to Germany and we just just wanted to do to do something you know so there was no really structured process we had one idea that came up during university uh, which was um yeah building a search engine for fashion so back then like fashion was not really um online kind of fashion e-commerce and and there were some stores being opened up for example Zalando in Europe which became very large um, and we built back then we started the, the, a search engine for fashion now, in this case, I mean, what uh, what was the business model? How did you guys make money there? So back then, so it was, um, yeah, really like a product search engine. Um, so we were aggregating um, all kinds of different online stores for fashion. And then, um, yeah, showing it in a very um, nice way. So you could browse and search for, for uh, through like hundreds of thousands and at, at the end, millions of different uh, fashion items. And the company is still around. So it's called Stylite. And um, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a wonderful journey. So we built that company for, for eight years. It was a very lean kind of uh, business. So we, we expanded the country in to 15, at a company to 15 countries. And we were at around, I think, 200 people at the end. We raised in total 6 million euros. So uh, like for, it's like from today's point of view, um, that seems like, like a very low number. But for us, it was a huge number, actually. And uh, we were also able to turn profitable in the third year. And, and yeah, and then we sold that company in 2016. So then let's talk about that for, for a little bit, because you sold the company for 80 million euros. So, hey, you know, like first, uh, 
uh, you know, company that you build first exit that you get. That's not normal, you know, especially, you know, being a European founder, you know, that's amazing, amazing hit rate. So I guess in, in your case, I mean, what was that process like, you know, of, uh, of going through this acquisition? I mean, how did that happen? You know, and what was that journey of, of really, you know, selling the company? So first of all, it is it is really I think that the word journey is definitely the, um, the right um, description. So we had so much fun building uh, building Stars. We were like when we started the company, I was twenty three years old, so we very young, and we had like a very very fun journey. And of course, over the years, uh, we also found out about like struggles of kind of like that lead gen model, which I think many lead gen models have is that you kind of are really, for example, dependent on on a on a few other stakeholders in the market such as google for example and and that also investors knew about it so we had like it was really not easy to raise any kind of money so that that was why we had to become profitable very early on and and then in the long run we really thought about okay shall we now yeah really grow maybe expand to other verticals or or sell the company and then really yeah we went actually in like into a kind of like a duo process so we were we were open to raise a large round of financing or but also open to be um to be acquired and then yeah we got a very good offer um to be to be acquired and then we uh yeah we accepted that offer and obviously you know tremendous exit at 30 years old so you know in 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 your case you know like obviously you went and and did angel investing and i'd like to ask you a little bit about that but but how does it feel to be 30 years old and have an exit like that i mean any any indulgence anything that you bought you know when you when you got all that money in Honestly, not not really, not not really. Not really. Um, so yes, it, first of all, it really takes time to realize that um, that you can just go somewhere and spend money because until back until then, I had literally zero money in my bank account. I yeah. just uh, spent every, like all I got from my salary. I spent like, <laughs> so I really had very little savings. <laughs> um, so it, it it but it doesn't really. Yeah, it did not change my life at all. Um, I also did not go on a kind of like a journey around the world or so, but I really, yeah, I'm probably too, they're like too relentless. Um, I, and I really wanted to do something new again because I also really love um, building things, um, especially at the intersection of business and technology together with highly ambitious, uh, yeah, smart and great people. And I love that so much so that I actually almost immediately starting ser- like started to search for new ideas but also of course um i um what i also started back then is to invest in startups which is also something where i learn a lot from um but um which brings fun to me but also was i think a pretty um yeah financially also so obviously that was that was a new thing you know being able to invest in startups that was something that you were now allowed to do now in this journey of of going on the other end of the table what were what were some of the patterns that you were seeing, you know, and founders that made sense to invest in, and and then how do you think that that journey of of investing in other companies, you know, helped you in shaping up more and more your idea of what would become, you know, Fin. Yeah, I think the word pattern or pattern recognition is yeah, it just it can be like it's it's really a two two-sided uh like uh yeah sort of, kind of like it's it can also be dangerous because in the end when you think about startup investment you don't want like from my personal opinion it's like you do not want to follow patterns because you look really for the outliers and if you follow patterns um yeah um you probably will not find the outliers because you never know what really makes the company succeed 
Um, so that's at least my 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 opinion. And um, well, I think like when you really look at very very young startups, it's obviously comes down to the people. Um, I really I think uh, past success is the best uh, predictor for for future success uh, of 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 certain uh, um, like teams or 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 companies and uh, like so there is sometimes i have the feeling that if a company has been like extraordinarily successful some people think well but now they probably slow down a little and guess what not that many companies do that actually so if they like super successful teams that are able to pull off i don't know i just saw a company recently that had like and he started a business in february and now he has a like super strong team built up in a few months. Um, well, that for me is a strong signal that he probably, when he's able to pull off that in four months, hire, I don't know, eight super strong uh, people to his team, then he's probably able to do, um, yeah, some like some great things in the future. So I think that is like really precise achievements, recent achievements, even more so than, than achievements that are longer ago. I think that's, that's, for example, one good indicator, but then, and then along with all other things uh, like, uh, market and product and so on. And now, in your case, uh, Max, you know, you were saying that right immediately, you know, you wanted to do something. You wanted to do something after after you know the the acquisition of Stylite. Uh, now, it took you three years, right, to 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 get started with Finn. So it was not, you know, like uh, obviously an immediate aha. No, like they say, ideas take time to incubate. You know, they're kind of like dormant. You know, there and we don't even know that they're there. But what was that process for you of of really saying, "Hey, I I, I think that I got it. I think that I'm gonna go forward with this one." Yeah, kind of like found that opportunity of car subscriptions, um, and I digged a little bit deeper into it, so that I found out that it's the yeah um, the largest retail market in the world, cars. Uh, for example, it still has the lowest uh, e-commerce penetration rate of all markets, which is still at one percent. So which, um, yeah, just made it from, from both from a business and a consumer point of view, um, hugely attractive. And um, yeah, and then I actually went on and I called a few investors what, what, what they think about the idea. And well, two investors didn't like the idea so much, but one investor was really also into it. Um, and that investor was called Picos. Um, so it's Picos Capital out of, uh, out of like, I think their headquarters in Art Munich. It's a pre-seed investor. Uh, here like based in Europe but also now based in the US and yeah so, so and they said hey we're, we're also looking at it why why not looking at, uh, at it together and that really um, yeah and when, then we decided to do it together so so they uh, yeah, also invested in the company and as a first investor and they also and together we then really the first thing I did was then to next to yeah drawing kind of like what our mission is also how our organizational design will look like so I really had that first scribble down. And finally, until today, that organizational design, which is like a, a mission-based, cross-functional organizational design, seven departments, it still holds until today. Um, and then based on that design, I then went out and started kind of like assembling our C-level uh, slash co-founding team. So I really, it, I, I, I turned it around kind of like I didn't have like the team first. So that's how we started my first company. But it was kind of like more like idea first. And then I had the luxury, so to say, for, for each mission and department we had, like, for example, growth or B2B and operations and so on. I could um, yeah, really hire specifically um, the, the, the ideal leader for, for each and every department. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that 
you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. In this case, for people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Finn? How do you guys make money? The core, the, the core to Finn is that we um, yeah, bring a true e-commerce uh, user experience to uh, car ownership. So it's really about driving your own car. You can, you can go on Finn. Um, so the target group of, our, of Finn are uh, young families in their 30s and uh, 40s. So typically, like we call them, former hipsters. Uh, now moving out from, I don't know, you, you live in New York, so there would be, uh, it would be East Village. Now moving out to Long Island or upstate, uh, start raising a family. And they're called millennials, by the way. And they're, they're so used to purchase everything online, they seek for an online alternative. And then they can go on Finn. They can book a car subscription within a few minutes. Um, like all our cars are available within a few days or weeks. And we deliver the car to your doorstep and you pay one monthly rate. And in that rate, everything is included but fuel. And um, also one key thing is, um, so our terms go from one month, six months up to 12 months. And at the price is really comparable to leasing. So this is, this is really one of the key things that all costs considered. And we are not more like we are competitive when it comes to pricing. And that like, yeah, explains that since the very yeah, beginning of Finn, we see a huge, huge demand actually for our subscriptions. The business model is um, that we really, everything we do, we do in large numbers, like really on scale. So, and that enables us to purchase everything um, of obviously very, very efficiently and with a, with a good price. Of course, we, uh, we, when, when you go out and like this year we buy 25,000 cars, then you, you better get some better prices than, than, than a typical consumer. And the same applies as, uh, for insurance. So we acquire like, like insurance rates, uh, repair hours, uh, or everything. Um, so, so we really bring that together like that economies of scale. Also, we bring that together with our technology platform. So all we do is based on our technology platform that we built fully in-house. Um, so we do not touch any physical touch point, but we integrate 200 service providers into our um, techno uh, technology platform. And then really like that economies of scale times the technology uh, technolo technology empowered efficiency 
um, then makes that business model also really profitable. My God, you say 25,000 cars like nothing. Eh? I mean, that sounds like a lot of cars to me. Now, one thing that I heard you say here, Max, is that, you know, that, the, that this is more like a multidimensional chicken and egg, you know, like multiple problems at the same time. Why, why is that when you're building a company like this? Yeah, it's, it's what, I, what I actually like a chain of very large chicken egg problems. So with a, with, when you look at car subscriptions, when you go on our website, um, it kind of like, it really looks like super nice and easy and almost cute. And it's exactly how, like how it's designed to be. However, because that's, that's only because we take care of all things that are behind driving your car, uh, your own car. So we need, for example, um, yeah, supply partnerships with large OEMs. And we need uh, fleet financing. So, so, so till date, we raised, for example, more than seven hundred million uh, dollars in in uh, to finance our fleet. Um, we, we need then, of course, to have like also raise substantial amounts of equity. So we raised uh, so far one hundred forty million dollars um, in equity. Um, and you, yeah, so. OEM partnerships, fleet financing, equity financing, and then all along you need to build up a te technology platform and people, and that kind of you need to do that all at once, and and so that makes it, um, yeah, that made the past three years quite exciting, I would say. <laughs> and how how do you go about in a business like this, you know, figuring out the equity side of it, where it's like more people aligned with you, and then also figuring out the debt side of it, where it's more like to finance the operations. And I know that in this case for you thinking big was something that you know perhaps you didn't do right off the bat and then you had like a like an aha moment so kind of like walk us through through that execution absolutely so um i think one where thinking big really was necessary was when it comes to fleet financing so so i think it's very rather un, like not typical for a startup so last year was our second full year of business um, and there we, we raised uh, 500 million euros um, credit facility with uh, Credit Suisse and, and Waterfall Asset Management. And we, that, was, that was probably really the hardest nuts to crack in my, my career. So we, we went out to, I don't know, I think 60 banks and knocked on the doors and like kind of got a refusal after the other. So it was a very <laughs> painful process. Um, and then we figured out, hey, we were like initially, we were looking forward to raise somewhere around 50 million um in in debt financing but that is that was actually too little and it's like yeah quite far in the process someone told us that that hey banks they they want to earn their their interest margin and they want to like earn that substantially and then we just increased that number when we went out from 50 to 250 up to 500 so so when it comes to debt financing you can always start with a number and then build the facility so that that can go up automatically so it was up to 500 and then suddenly banks were listening. Suddenly they were also looking at us like as okay, there's 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 risks everywhere I look. Like it's a startup and it's it's cars and uh, like technological risk and operations risk and people risk and whatever risk. However, at the same time, there's also a substantial uh, um, potential for for profit. And and so I think there it was really a win-win situation because for us, of course, a bigger facility was better, but it also was much much better for for uh, the bank. And in your guys' case, I mean, you recently did the Series B, so congratulations on that. You know, that was quite a, a pretty interesting Series B, 110 million uh, euros. Is that right? 110 million dollars. 110 million dollars. Uh, yeah. yeah. So 110 million dollars. And typically when you do a Series B, you know, is that interesting, you know, part of the uh, life cycle or the journey where 
you're grabbing something that has been working nicely in a certain geographic location. And now the idea is to expand more, you know, in a different geographic location. You know, it sounds that you guys are looking at coming here, you know, to the U.S. as well. You've raised 200 million out of the 700 million to be able to finance, you know, the operations here. And in fact, your office here is a close to Grand Central, really cool uh, area, by the way. Uh, so how do you think, you know, how is that process of really thinking through an expansion in order to really get it right? Because that must uh, not be easy for a business like this. So when we yeah, started raising our Series B, which was actually by the end of last year, so we quickly found out. So we told investors, hey, look, we will use these proceeds we are going to raise to launch our business in the U.S. So we already had a few people on the ground. We already had a few OEM partnerships in place. We were about to... Well, we didn't really have the fleet financing yet, but we thought, okay, well, that's a great asset. That's a great story. So we used that money, we invested, and we go live uh, in the US. And I think, guess what? That's really a learning I'm more than happy to share. It was absolutely not an asset for our equity story. It definitely was a liability. Um, because investors, like on, even last year, and probably nowadays definitely even more than, uh, even more so, really only value proven business or value proven business much much more than unproven business um, and so they looked at our us endeavors more or less only as a risk and like no kind of no upside to it uh, because we had not we were about to prove it but we had not have not proven it yet so that definitely was was not a great thing and um, so for our next fundraise um, and now like demand is huge in us and things go really well and like um, like really after plan and um, so for the next fundraise, we definitely will um, incorporate that into our equity story. But we, what we will not do is then to say, okay, we use, we use now the proceeds to expand, I don't know, to 15 European countries. But we will rather um, then develop it together with our investors kind of after the next fundraise, it's a, a plan to expand. But I would, if possible, always focus your equity story on your core, core business and on proven business. And, and not on future endeavors, kind of. And in your guys' case, I mean, to give us all, especially the listeners, an idea on the scope and size of Fin today, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of maybe like number of employees, the fleet, or anything else? Well, in terms of fleet, uh, like um, I already mentioned, so we're targeting 25,000 uh, cars slash uh, subscribers by the end of the year. Uh, roughly 1,000 um, will be in Germany, 4,000 will be in US. Why can we communicate that? Because we already have a, like pre-ordered these vehicles. So that's why we are, that's one of the good things of our business model. So we have a very high certainty around our planning. So once we have pre-order, like we pre-order all our vehicles, yeah, 12 months uh, in advance. And that also helped us, by the way, to come quite nicely through the supply crisis because we were really able to plan ahead. Um, in terms of employees, so right now we are um, just crossed the mark of 250 employees and we will grow uh, yeah, to more than uh, like 300 by the end of the year um, and um, yeah, grow from, from here. And yeah, we are on a mission to really, we are laser focused on car subscriptions. So we wake up with having car subscriptions in mind. We go to bed with having <laughs> car subscriptions in mind. So that's Hello. all we do all, all day long. And, um, but we also have the ambition to really like, yeah, what kind of Google became for search engine to become that for, for car subscriptions. Now you're, you're talking about going to sleep, you know, and then waking up. Now, with that in mind, imagine you go to sleep tonight. And you wake up in a world where the mission, or perhaps the vision, 
often is fully realized. What does that world look like when you wake up? Well, it's it's quite never never truly realized. Um, so so we have like a strategic mission, which is building the most popular car subscription platform in Europe and US, uh, and you can always build build more build on that. And we have also a core purpose, which brings me back to like having a positive impact. So on our core purpose since day one is making mobility fun and sustainable. And that's also a kind of like a long-term goal, which you can never truly fully accomplish. So, so making mobility more fun, what that really drives us to, to make it super easy and convenient for customers to kind of like give families back more time. So, so it's really, we're in a kind of in a business, a service business to give people back more quality time, um, but also to make it more sustainable. So we focus a lot on electric vehicles. So 30% of our uh, fleet is already fully uh, fully electric versus 12% in Germany and less than 5% in the US. So, so we're really advancing um, the transition to fully electric mobility. And and last but not least, I think it's just wonderful to have like to spend time together with a very, like a bunch of very ambitious um, and uh, yeah, smart, driven and great people. And so, yeah, and these kind of like three core motivations, they never go away. So that's why all, I personally also plan to yeah, uh, work build Finn for, for, for many years and, and rather decades. I love it. Now, obviously, you know, it's uh, the second rodeo, right? I mean, as an entrepreneur, it's incredible the successes, the lessons learned that you've had, you know, along the way. So if you had the opportunity to go back in time, let's say I put you into a time machine, Max, and you're able to have a sit down with that younger self, that younger Max that is coming out of, you know, university, you know, perhaps, you know, has tried the internships and, you know, not into investment banking. And, you know, let's say you give, you have that opportunity of giving that younger Max a piece of advice before starting a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? What I absolutely got right with my first company um, after, after university, I think oh, <laughs> definitely also with my second company, was that to, to really start a company with with a great great team of co-founders so to have a huge like really really high high emphasis on obviously your co-founders but also for example I had like a first interview with the first 100 employees so it's so really the people you you have around are so 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 important like for your obviously for your success but also for just how much fun you will have and but also secondly really think about the idea um so so I think that for example I think I got more right um, or we got more right with with Finn than with Starlet because um, Starlet was just like being a pure niche and play. It could only grow so big. You know what I mean? So when you, and we just didn't, and it was, it's also okay that we didn't think about it that long. But if I could go back, I would tell myself, please take a few weeks at least and think about uh, like what could be, like what other ideas um, are out there which are maybe worth pursuing and really having like researching a little bit more what makes a great idea a great idea and really defensible, sticky, um, like large markets and um, deep value creation, which I think is always the key. So only if you really create value for other people on this planet, um, then then actually there is some value, like there's a reason you exist. Um, so yeah, spend some more time on ideating probably. I love it. So Max, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? So I'm um, like on LinkedIn. My my email address is I think also on our um, our our website. Otherwise, it's just my name at fin.auto. Um, so it's really really easy. Um, and yeah, um, please reach out. Um, and uh, we are of course um, hiring, or we are 
we are still hiring, let's say, in, in these markets, let's let's put it like this, uh, both um, like in our Munich office and our New York office, but also most of our positions are open for for uh, remote, like to work uh, like from 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 your home. Um, so yeah, please reach out. And also, I'm, I'm an active angel investors, of course. If there are any entrepreneurs out there, please reach out. Amazing. Well, Max, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much, Alejandro, for having me today. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.